You're listening to the Chi Alpha Ole Miss Weekly Message. We hope that you would be inspired to go out and make disciples transforming the college campus, the marketplace, and the world. Enjoy. All right. I want you to close your eyes. Imagine that you're at the edge of a cliff or a bluff. Some people don't know what a bluff is. It's a cliff. (laughs) Same thing. Uh, A cliff with water below. And uh, it can be as high as you want it to be, whatever you're comfortable with. I don't like very high things, but um, if you like high things, it can be high. Um, And there are people around you pressuring you to jump. Okay, so that's a scenario. All right, everybody look at me. Now, would you rather, if you're, if you're going to do this, like this is something you would do, would you rather go first or watch somebody else go first? Some, I, I, the majority I've heard is watch somebody else go first, right? Um, so when trying something new, it's, it's often easier to do when you see somebody go ahead of you and be like, okay, that's how they do it. I can do it this way. I'm not going to make that mistake, you know. Uh, I'm going to do better or whatever. Um, some advice. My father-in-law, he jumps off a lot of butt bluffs into water. He says, as soon as you get up there, just jump. Just don't, don't think about it. Just jump. If you stay up there, you're just going to kind of psych yourself out and p- be paralyzed by fear. So just get it, go up there, jump. If you're going to do it, do it. Um, so one of my friends, his name's Jonathan. He's actually uh, the director of Chi Alpha at uh, Austin P. State. University is like one of my best friends uh, when I was uh, in college at the University of Arkansas. And uh, he, he's kind of this like this guy who's like very adventurous, always tries to be like the macho guy and like trying to like push people to do adventurous stuff. So he takes us to this like he takes, takes a group of guys and, and a group of people to this creek and they swim across the creek. Um, Courtney's there. She, she notices this cliff side, this bluff, and, and Jonathan's like, oh, yeah, we've got to jump off of that. We've got to jump off of that. So Courtney swims out in the water and dives down and makes sure there's nothing like they're going to hit or any rocks. hit. And he takes this group of guys up there, and they're all going to jump. And so all the, everybody else is like, yeah, come on, go do it. Go jump off the bluff. Go jump off into the water. And, and everybody's like, yeah, climbing up, all really excited, you know, like giving them each other, like, you know, the chest bumps, trying to be manly and stuff. Yeah, we're going to do this and illustrate or demonstrate our manhood and uh, they get up there, and they get to the edge, and they just freeze. And everybody's like, jump, jump, come on, just jump. And, no, and everybody, nobody's moving. They just freeze up. They don't do it. And, like, two hours go by. They're still up there. People are, like, making a fire down below, cooking food, having fun. They're still up there debating on whether to jump or not. Another hour goes by. It's dark outside. They're still up there. They, they, they finally, I think a few of them finally did jump, but most of them just climbed down. After three hours, and it's already dark, they just missed out on everything. They're just sitting up there in this place of indecision whether I should jump or not. So, tonight I'm going to challenge you to jump. I'm going to challenge you to jump. But first... I want us to be encouraged by some men and women 
who have got jumped before us, who have taken the plunge before us. So what we're going to uh, talk about tonight is the history of African-American missions. Since it's Black History Month. So first, first off, I have to kind of di differentiate two, two different main areas of missions. So there's, there's what we call nowadays U.S. missions. So that's, um, that's what I am. I'm a U.S. missionary. Shay's a U.S. missionary. Lauren's a U.S. missionary. Courtney's a U.S. missionary. Shelby's a U.S. missionary. Stewart's a U U.S. missionary. We all raise funding to, to uh, go to a, a, a mission field that's unreached by the church in the United States. So it's like a sectors and, and cultures and, and different areas of ministry that the church in general has trouble reaching. And the college campus is one of those areas. So that's, that's what we do. So that's a U.S. missionary. A world missionary is what it, what it says. It's like you go international, you go to a different country and you share the gospels, you know, build churches, um, start orphanages, that kind of thing there. So preface there. So the first thing we're going to do, if we're going to take the jump, if we're going to take the plunge, if we're going to jump off, we have to trust that God is with us. Because a lot of times we can think to ourselves, we can make excuses like, I'm too young, I'm inexperienced, I'm unqualified, I'm afraid. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. Jeremiah 1, 6 through 8, this is Jeremiah's call to be a prophet. The Lord had just called him to be a prophet, and he says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So we have to trust that God is with us. When we feel insecure, feel, feel like I'm, there's no way I can do this, there's no way I can step into what God is calling me to do or try to, to step out on faith or, or whatever God's call, calling you to do, you have to trust that God is with you. So George Whitfield is a British guy, uh, a British itinerant preacher in uh, the 17, 1740s. And he traveled to North America and started a bunch of uh, just basically revivals. It became known as the Great Awakening. And um, at the a in the 1770s, he was, he was uh, in the United States preaching, and this guy named John Morant, who's 13 years old, comes to one of his revivals and uh, has a radical conversion, just like meets the Lord like spectacularly. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, and he is a black man who was born free in the United States. And uh, when he got back home to his family and told them that he had become a Christian, they were not happy about it. They basically just like kicked him out, 13 years old. And he lived in Charleston, South Carolina. So he just like wanders off, just, just like walks out into the woods, basically. He ends up like 50 miles away from his house, and he runs into this Native American hunter and the hunt, he has, like, this argument with the hunter, like, uh, the Native American guy's like, I'm going to take you back home. You're way far away from anything where you should be. I'm going to take you back home. And he's like, no, no, they won't accept me. You know, I'm not going to, I'm going to stay here. And he ends up living with the Cherokee tribe, sharing the gospel with them, leads a shovel to, to Christ, um, 
then goes, they, they lead him to share the gospel with the Creek tribe and the Catawar tribe and the Housal tribe. And by 775, he had shared the gospel and had believers in all of those Native American tribes. 13 years old. Like, at that point, he would have been 18 years old. And this is, this is pre so, so he is technically the, the first U.S. missionary, but it was before the U.S. existed. <laughs> he predates the United States. So when, this, when the Revolutionary War broke out, he gets kidnapped into, in, into the uh, British uh, military band because he's a really good musician, and basically forced to play the band <laughs> for their, their military. And he goes through lots of battles and, and all this stuff. Um, and he eventually, when the war's over, he's discharged to London. And guess who's in London? George Whitfield. He is back in the, the, the preacher that, that he was listening to when he, when he met the Lord. He goes and meets him. George introduces him to his patron. So back then they called them patrons. Nowadays we call them supporters. So that's how I'm able to do what, we're, what I do, what all of us that are U.S. missionaries, people that, that believe in what we're doing here at Ole Miss and churches, they, they support us on a monthly basis. So same thing back then. His patron was this, was this countess named, uh, what is her name, Lady Huntington. She meets uh, John Morant, and uh, he tells his story. They write a book about him. Now, the title of this book is, is kind of funny. It's called A Narrative of the Lord's Wonderful Dealings with John Morant, comma, a black. I guess everybody, they want to know, everybody, he was black. So you can actually buy that book. You can read excerpts for free online. Uh, it's about all his, it was published in 17 different editions and, and, and incredibly successful. Um, so he's in London. He gets a letter from his brother who's in Nova Scotia, Canada, and says that, that they need a preacher to come there. So he leaves for there, and uh, as soon as he gets on the boat, he, he basically tells everybody else on the boat that they're sinners <laughs> for what they were, the behavior that they were engaging in. And uh, when a storm hit, they all came to him and asked them to pr him to pray, and he prays for them, and the storm stops, and they all become Christians. So uh, John Morant was the first black pre preacher and U.S. missionary before the U.S. existed, he, and he started when he was 13 years old. So you can't tell me that you're too young, you're too inexperienced, you're too unqualified, or you're afraid because God is with you and he will do get you to do whatever he's calling you to do. If God can do these amazing things through John Morant, he can do what he wants to do through you. Revelation, where'd my scripture go? Oh, Revelation, I got it somewhere. Is it up there? It's probably, you had to go back a slide, I think. Revelation, there it is, 19.10. It says, for the spirit of prophecy, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears the testimony of Jesus. So what that, that verse means, when we, when we share a testimony here, let's just like James shared his testimony, if, if God did something in James' life, you can, you can, it's like you can receive it as a prophetic word that he can do the same thing in your life. And so when we hear these testimonies of, of God doing amazing things in, in these uh, people's lives, you can, you can receive it like a prophetic word over your own life. If God can get 
John Morant through these difficult situations, he can get you through your difficult situations. He can get you to where he can, if he can become the first black preacher and U.S. missionary, he can get you to into ministry or whatever he's calling you to do. So if we're going to take the plunge, if we're going to jump off the cliff, we also have, to, not only do we have to trust that God is with us, we have to trust that God can work through us. Trust that God can work through you. We can make excuses like, oh, I come from nothing. That's too high of a calling. I'm unqualified. Psalm 145:14 says, The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. So it's not going to be you doing it. You're just being obedient, and God does all the work. John Morant just prayed. God stopped the storm. So the next guy we're going to talk about is George Lyle. George was born in 1750 in Burke County, Virginia, to slave parents. Uh, he worked uh, for the family of Henry Sharp, and Henry Sharp was a British loyalist. He would go on to become a British officer during the Revolutionary War. But he was also a faithful deacon of Buckhead Creek Baptist Church. Wouldn't you like to go to Buckhead Creek Baptist Church? Buckhead Creek. In uh, 1773, while listening to the pastor of Buckhead Creek Baptist Church, his name was Matthew Moore, George became a follower of Jesus. After being baptized, George began to discover his compassion for other black slaves. He began to read hymns and encourage the slaves on the plantation to, to uh, sing along with the hymns. And uh, he was so, his ministry was so impressive that Buckhead Creek Baptist Church, convinced of George's ministerial giftings and, and interested in, uh, interest in God's word, they licensed him to preach. And in order to encourage and empower George to use his newfound gift more freely, Henry Sharp granted him freedom from slavery. During the next two years prior to the Revolutionary War, George gathered uh, a group of, of new black believers to hear his preaching at Silver Bluff, South Carolina. And George preached for two years in uh, slave quarters of plantations near Silver, Silver Bluff and gave birth to a new congregation. This small congregation of African-American believers is considered to be the first black church gathered in America. And the, the congregation eventually, m when the Revolutionary War broke out, they eventually moved to Savannah, Georgia, and the church eventually grew to over 700 members. And in 1782, George Lyle, his wife, and four children left America and sailed for Jamaica. With four other former American slaves, he formed the first uh, African Baptist Church of Kingston. And George Lyle is the first American missionary, period. Not the first African-American missionary, the first American missionary, period. Yeah. And by 1791, his church he, he started in Jamaica grew to over 350 members. And as his influence in Jamaica grew, so did persecution. George was eventually put in prison. 
And then in 1805, Jamaica uh, created a law which made it uh, illegal to preach to slaves. And uh, after that, numerous uh, instances of brutality, sexual abuse, and murder of Christians were reported. But even though, by 1814, it was reported that there were 8,000 Christians in Jamaica, mostly black slaves. Three white English missionaries were sent to help organize the Jamaican mission and saw that number grow from 8,000 to 20,000. But because of George's influence, two of those English missionaries went back to uh, Britain and lobbied and campaigned to uh, end slavery in the entire British Empire. And they did. And uh, George Lyle, born a slave, ordained in a white church in Georgia, gathered the first black congregation and became the first black Baptist in America. Lyle, while not being supported by a church or a missions agency, also became the first Protestant missionary to go out from America to establish a foreign mission. This Christian hero, without a formal education, learned to read the Bible and became a pastor and missionary. He shared the gospel with thousands, baptized hundreds, and discipled many who became preachers and missionaries and world leaders. So I don't care what your excuse is. You can't say you came from nothing. That's a too high of a calling. I'm unqualified. If God can do those amazing things through George Lyle, he can do whatever he wants to through you. So we need to jump off the cliff. I've got, on the next slide, you'll see a few of George Lyle's disciples that also became missionaries. David George was a missionary to Nova Nova Scotia and then eventually went to Sierra Leone. Brother Amos planted a church in the Bahamas that grew to 850 members in 20 years. Some more additional missionaries that were, the African-American missionaries that were sent out at that time, 1873, Moses Baker and George Gibson, who were both former slaves, were missionaries to the West Indies. Uh, 1790, Prince Williams, who was also a former slave, went to the Bahamas, where he started a church and a church planning network that started 164 churches in 10 years. Jump off the cliff. If we're going to jump off this cliff, we also have to trust that God will provide. Ephesians 3.20 says, uh, in the New King James Version, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. In the NIV it says, Now him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. So immeasurably more, exceedingly, abundantly more than what we could ever think or imagine. That's the kind of God we serve. So we can make excuses like, there's no way I can raise missionary funded. I'm poor. Everybody else I know is poor. How can I raise the support? Well, God can do it. Betsy Stockton was born in Princeton, New Jersey in 1798. At an early age, she was a domestic slave for Dr. Green, who was the president of Princeton University. Betsy was given permission to attend evening classes in college, and in the winter of 1815, her her life took a radical turn when a revival broke out on campus. I'll say that again. A revival broke out on campus, on campus, 
where we are right now on campus. Um, as a result of this spiritual awakening, she became a Christian. Shortly after her conversion, Betsy was granted freedom by the Greens, but she remained in the Greens' household as a paid domestic servant. The Greens treated her as a member of their family and allowed her to continue her education. And despite her life conditions, Betsy believed with all her heart that it was the sacred duty of Christians to offer themselves in humble obedience to God's call to carry out his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ for the world. That's a direct quote from her. She felt God's conviction and calling to take the gospel to those who had not heard it. This growing conviction shaped her prayers and eventually the rest of her life. As Betsy grew in faith, she expressed a desire to be a missionary, and she was given the opportunity to serve in Hawaii. And although her sacrificial, and, and through her sacrificial saving and financial gifts of, of her employer, she was able to meet the financial requirements to go. And in 1823, Betsy became the first single woman missionary in the modern missions era. She set out to learn the Hawaiian native language, and she started a school uh, as soon as she got there where she taught history, English, Latin, and algebra. Betsy taught the common people to read and write, which helped them to understand the Bible and provided a platform for evangelism and discipleship. By 1826, 8,000 Hawaiians had received an education because of her service. Betsy Stockton died in, in October of uh, 1865. She was admired and influenced by many students with her gentle Christian spirit. And she may, not ha she may have been born into slavery, but she had emerged as a religious and academic pioneer. So you may say, there's no way I can raise this missionary funded, or I'm poor and everybody else I know is poor. But if God can do it for Betsy Stockton, he can do it for you. Jump off the cliff. Additional missionaries sent out during that time period. Uh, Lot Carey, who you can read a lot of books were written about him. Uh, he was a slave in Virginia and was uh, a missionary to West Africa. Daniel Coker, also West Africa. Uh, Scipio Beans eh, went to Haiti in 1827. Uh, Robert Hill, West Africa. William Colley at West Africa. William Henry Sharp. Shepherd, the Congo. Here's another one. If you think if you think you can't raise support, in 18894, marrying Tearing at the age of 56, uh, left America for the Congo. Because of her age, she was not accepted for support, so she sold her house, used her savings, and raised a hundred dollars a month from ro local church women and traveled to the Congo. Her work was so exceptional that within two years she was receiving full support, support from her missions agency. Jump off the cliff, the Lord will provide. Not only do we have these testimonies of all these men and women who um, took the plunge long ago, we also have one in our midst, Shay here. She's uh, she's the first she's the first African American missionary to produce in the Assembly of God from the state of Mississippi. So if God can do it for Shay, if God can do it for Betsy Stockton, if God can do it for Mary Terry, if God can do it for John Morant, if God can do it for George Lyle, He can do it for you.
Y'all ready to jump? It takes faith, but it also takes sacrifice. See, jumping all in on God's plan for your life means sacrificing your own plan for your life. But Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. He left the the highest authority, the most lavish (laughs) thing we could ever imagine, and was literally born in a barn, like literally born in a barn. Lived a very the most humble life. Um, basically, was homeless for three years, traveling around to preaching to people. You know, he told his disciples he <laughs> he didn't have any place to lay his head. And not only did all that, but then was brutally executed in our place. So if he can sacrifice all that, what's what <laughs> what can we give in return? I'll tell you what we can give. It's everything we have. You know, uh, Ole Miss tuition alone can be, (laughs) for some of you, can be close to $100,000. And if you add up everything else, it can be even more. And that's not not including all the the opportunity costs of a career, the earning potential that a degree gives you. But what better thing to lay on the altar for the Lord? What better sacrifice? than to say, here's everything I've worked towards this far. I'm presenting it to you. Do whatever you want with it. I'm yours. Luke, 29, or Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to them, Jesus talking, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, I love this verse, but I also hate, hate this verse. The reason I love it is because it's powerful. The reason I hate it is because it's hard. And then another reason I hate it is because it's taken out of context all the time. Because I know you've all heard it. Well, I guess that's just my cross to bear. Let me tell you. Your cross, the cross that you bear is not your bunions. It's not your bunions. The cross that you bear is not... That, that scenario when you get to the end of the month and you run out of money and you're kind of broke for a little bit, that's not the, your cross. That's not the cross you bear. The cross that you bear is, is, is not any kind of relationship problem. It's not any kind of burden that you think about, that you could think of. It's not, that's not your cross. You see, the cross meant one thing and one thing only. It meant execution. Jesus is saying, pick up your cross daily and follow me to execution. So what does that mean? That mean? Does that mean martyrdom? Well, in some cases it does. But in most cases, it means crucifying your rights, crucifying your will, crucifying your plans. Each day we crucify our ambition and live out God's will and God's plans. Now, Kate, uh, during worship, quoted Romans 6, 6, and talking about, it said we're, we're crucified with Christ and we're no longer a slave to sin. I'm going to, so the Lord just kind of doubled down on this right now because he brought that out in worship. I already had in my notes Romans 12, 1, which says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. He doubled down on that one, so write that one down for sure. 
Ben, can you can you can you come up here for a second? Need a volunteer. So so we're we're talking about being a living sacrifice. So Ben, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Raspberry. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> what is, where have you always wanted to visit? Don't take steps. Um, Spain. You're dead. Uh, what do you want to do when you finish college? Be an engineer. You're dead. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being a living sacrifice for me, Ben. You can sit down. So what the illustration is, it doesn't matter. Ben died. Ben died with Jesus. Mac died with Jesus. We're all dead. It doesn't matter what we want. All that matters is what he wants. That's what being a living sacrifice is. February 2nd, 1911. During a morning devotion hour at Central Texas Ch College in Waco, an African-American teacher, Eliza George, had a vision of black Africans passing before the judgment seat of Christ, weeping and moaning. Many of them were saying, no one ever told us you died for us. A few years earlier, while a student in college, Eliza George had responded to an invitation for volunteer missionary service. Now she felt a vision was prodding her to go to Africa. The college president tried to dissuade her. Don't let yourself get carried away by all that fool foolishness Foolishness, you don't have to go over there to be a missionary. It wouldn't be two more years before Eliza George got up the courage to leave her teaching position and head to Liberia. In her resignation speech, she read an original poem. My African brother is calling me. Hark, hark, I hear his voice. Would you stay when God said go? On December 12, 1913, Eliza George sailed from New York City as a missionary. See, there was a prophetic word, like we, we said earlier. Revelations says that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So there's a prophetic word through the testimony of all these African-American missionaries. So will you submit to God to receive it? So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm, per, I'm asking you prayerfully consider giving your life in missions just just pray about it now and i'm going to do a little illustration here kind of cup your hands in front of you like this okay make a little cup so this little cup represents your plans now all i'm asking is for you to have an open hand i don't want you to put your hand over the cup have an open hand let god if he wants to to take those plans and change them to whatever he wants them to be so I'm going to ask you, and not right now, but just in a moment, um, the musicians are going to come. They can go ahead and come now. But we're going to pretend like this is the stage is kind of like an altar. And I'm just going to ask you to come up and just place your plans on the altar and, and let them sit before the Lord. Now, he might let you pick them up again. He might say, this is what I want you to do. And I want you to think about this. If he does... That makes what you do all the more powerful because it becomes, it goes from this is what I want to do 
to this is what I'm supposed to do. S- but you have to be willing, willing to take the risk. You have to be willing to, to, to allow him to change that what's in your little cup here. So I'm not asking you to just leave right now and go be a missionary. I'm asking you to just set it before God and see if he wants you to do that. If he wants you to sacrifice all the work that you've put into your degree for him and his mission. So set your major on the altar. Set your career on the altar. Set your relationship status on the altar. Now some of y'all have been standing at the edge of the bluff for a while. And you need to just go ahead and jump. You know what God is calling you to do, but you're too afraid to even say it. I just want to tell you, what's the worst that could happen? You go out and you try what God is telling you, what you feel like God's calling you to do, and what if you fail? So what? You failed trying to do what you felt like God was calling you to do. There's, there's, it's like a risk-free thing, really. Um, now, even if you fail, you still have a degree, <laughs> and you can just pick up right where you left off. So, all that's standing in your way is your own pride. Are you willing to allow God to change your plans? We pray that this word has resonated with you and that you would carry it out into our world. To keep up with us, like us on Facebook at Chi Alpha at Ole Miss. Now go out and do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus.